Hi everyone, I'm Carissa Prudhomme, the host of the Carissa Knows Podcast, and today we will be discussing how to talk to your child about race, the parenting edition. On the show, we have four guest speakers who are all moms and come from different racial and ethnic groups. Stephanie Perez is a half Peruvian, half Uruguayan Latina. She is a special education teacher who lives in North Carolina and is raising her multiracial daughter. Shekinah Simeona Lee is a black higher education professional from New York City who is raising her two black daughters in a traditional family in North Carolina. Jessica LeClaire is a white hairstylist who lives in Massachusetts and is raising her white son in a blended family. And our last speaker is Morgan Bailey, a white teacher who is raising her son and daughter in North Carolina. For me, growing up as a second generation West Indian child in the 90s, my biracial mom did not talk about race at all. My mother believed in the colorblind teaching, which is a common practice and ideology that persists among white families. From birth to nine years old, I was living in Washington state and had no idea what to select when I filled out a Scantron sheet. In fact, it was my teacher who told me to select black because my sister and I were the only children of color in an all white school. Although experts have known and said that for years, the colorblind ideology doesn't work, Many families still use it to perpetuate a false sense that if we don't acknowledge race, it means racism will not exist. This type of teaching is a get out of jail card for people who have historically held positions of power, and it essentially dismisses any responsibility they play in fighting against the oppression of others. All right, guys. So I'm super curious to know what made you choose to have race discussions with your child? Stephanie, what about you? Okay, so I jotted down some things because I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> so I want to make sure I was focused. <laughs> um, so the biggest thing or the reason why I decided or wanted to talk about race early with my daughter is because she is multiracial. So my dad is from Peru, my mom is from Uruguay, and her dad is from Virginia. <laughs> but she's so she's Latina and Black. And so I thought it was super, super important to just kind of start with loving yourself. I wanted her to know, like, as she got older, that, um, you know, she's gonna, I want her to love both cultures. And then also, most importantly, I want her to love herself. When she gets older, and society tells her all these other things, I want it to not affect her as much, just for just so that way she knows, like, well, you know, I'm black enough, or I'm Latino enough. Um, that was like the main thing that I, the reason why I started talking to her at a young age. Okay. What about you, Jessica? What made you start talking to your son about race? So, um, mine's kind of a funny story that it just kind of sprung on me one day. Um, my son was in his first year of preschool and he came home because they had to draw like a self-portrait of themselves. Um, and so he came home one day with this self-portrait and he, my son is white, who drew himself as super, super tan. And I was like, I was like, why, like, why did you choose to go with this color kind of thing? And he was like, oh, well, I'm just like, I'm really tan in the summer. And I was like, okay, well, like, what would you have chosen any other time or like in the winter? And he was like, well, then I would have picked a different color. And I was like, okay, it makes sense for us because like, uh, we are white, we get a lot more tan in the summer, but it was interesting to me that he was such a young age and being able to like distinguish these different color perspectives kind of. 
um, and just be able to, so I need, felt like at that point I needed to have a conversation with him and we needed to kind of dive into all of these aspects and things that are coming up and would have come up in his future back at that time. Right. And that's and kind it, of where it started for me. It's good that you saw that he was identifying like race, which kind of was a good segue into those discussions. Yeah, so I was mentioning this to you earlier. Um, my daughter's just turned five and six and they're very, very young. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know if I've explicitly said like, you know, you are this, you are that. And my daughters are both black girls. My partner, um, he's a, a black male as well. So I feel like I've just created an ecosystem of a lot of blackness around them. So they don't feel like there's really, they're already going to be exposed to white culture and whiteness. So I feel like we've always set up, we're in a, a, a black church, we're in an African Methodist um, Episcopal black church. Um, they have black doctors, they have black um, dentists. Um, I don't feel like they have the luxury to not know. And I feel like the exposure at their age is how I'm starting to slowly um, make it more known. But I haven't like specifically said, you are this, you are that, but they do know that they're black children. They say, yeah, we're black. And I'm like, and it was a funny story I was telling Carissa earlier, um, me and my husband were like going back and forth. I was like, well, you're black, but like when you draw yourself, are you putting brown? And she's like, but I'm black. And he's like, she's black. Stop confusing her. And I feel like, you know, our kids are actually a lot smarter than we give them credit because she draws herself as a little brown girl, but she'll definitely say, oh yeah, I'm black. And at six, like just turned six, I was surprised that she had that understanding of not it being so literal in terms of like the color black and then also drawing her hair black. Um, but in our society that we live in, I feel like I, I always had to tell them who they are before somebody else told them who they are. Black kids know that they're black and I don't feel like non-black kids always have that same luxury, have to deal with the same thing. So Morgan, what about you? What made you discuss race with your kids? It was the multifaceted thing that pretty much revolved around education. I'm a teacher. Um, and so I've been, you know, around education really, obviously within K-12, but like my whole life, you know, doing other things. Um, so my first job, I actually worked at a high school that was majority black students and staff. Um, so we had like a lot of conversations about race, like at work, especially conversations that I don't think that I would have normally been privy to otherwise. And because of that, and because like, I'm generally a pretty reflective person, um, it started me really like thinking and researching and, and finding out kind of like what um, race relations were like in the United States in ways that I had never really experienced myself. Um, my husband is a black male, so my children um, are mixed as well. And I recognized really, really quickly that there was so much whiteness in this world and that my kids would, I, I really worried about the, um, the authority that white teachers or white women would have on their lives, especially because they have a white mother, right? So like the person that loves them the most in their lives that they're seeing at such a young age is like a white woman and they're black kids really, you know what I mean? To society, if that makes sense. So I was really worried about um, like how impressionable they would be by white women. And so I was like, okay, I got to make a point here to um, start teaching. Well, really Elijah, because Zola's too. Um, but I have to make a point here to start teaching Elijah about his blackness, one, and how you know important it is to him. But also Preston and I, um, my husband and I had a lot of conversations about what it means for him to like love and protect and listen to black women because he doesn't see his dad do it. 
he sees his dad love a white woman, right? So like the black people in his life, he's seeing like that are most important to him, love white women. <laughs> so we were like, hold on, we need to think about this in like a reflective way and make it a point to make sure that Elijah recognizes like the importance of black women and blackness in his life. So, so thanks to, to my staff. <laughs> so I guess I have a question, just a another question for Stephanie and Morgan, because it sounded like Shekinah and Jessica, your kids kind of initiated the conversation a little bit more. What about you guys? Um, I guess I'll let Morgan talk since you're already unmuted, but <laughs> what made you start the conversation? Did they initiate it or did you initiate it? Gosh, the unmute. Um, we've done stuff. We started doing stuff like implicitly when he was like really young, right? So like reading books about, you know, that have black characters or black people in them, like taking him to like different kinds of festivals, like kind of, you know, um, doing things like that, that were like implicit and not explicit, right? But then around um, probably four or five, we started having more serious conversations that were explicit about race. And I think, I'm pretty sure that we probably initiated them. Um, I don't ever remember a time where he was like, you know, mommy, you're white and daddy, you're not, you know, or things like that. He he originally started, which Zola's doing the same thing, identifying people by their shirt color. So like, we'd be like, what color are you, you know? And he would be like, I'm orange. Mommy, you're pink. You know what I mean? Or like whatever was happening that day. And so that's when we started seeing like he is making some connections to like um, race in ways that, I guess because we were talking about it, you know what I mean? So we were like, okay, these connections are not necessarily right or true, but you know what I mean? He's like, so so we started talking about it more explicitly around that age, I think. Okay, and Stephanie, what about you? So I would say that I initiated it when she was younger because instead of like shirts like your son did, she did hair. So I'm black because my hair is black, you know, and, um, or, you know, her, she, my friend is yellow because her hair is yellow. <laughs> so that's how she originally started, um, I guess, differentiating just by hair color. Um, but that wasn't until she was a little bit older. Um, but even now she, where she, the school that she was at before was predominantly white versus the school that she's at now. And so even now when she's like, I'm asking her about her new friends and that kind of stuff, she's still going by like hair color. Um, so we talk about that, but I think originally um, in the very beginning, I initiated just because she's, you know, her family's not just diverse, but my group of friends are diverse and everyone that she's around is different and then not only that but her um when she was little little she would come to my school so it wasn't so much about race but more of abilities and disabilities just because my school serves severe and profound kids and that's another population that I wanted her to um be educated on from a young age um I knew it, that's a whole different topic but anywho um definitely I initiated um the conversations with her early on and I know um I guess Stephanie Morgan and Shekinah all y'all are in Greensboro Jessica you're in Milford Mil Milford right so um I Greensboro is a very very diverse area um it's what I think Morgan was telling me the the ratio 40 percent black 40 percent white everything else other races I don't know if that is that accurate what do you guys say yeah. It's close to that person looked it up the other night. So it, I think 
<laughs> okay. So Jessica, you're in Milford. That's not as of a very diverse area at all. So how are you kind of explaining to your kid about race? Um, so I feel like, I feel like honestly, this is a kind of a tough, tough, tough topic for me. Um, we live in a predominantly white area. My boyfriend is biracial. He's uh, black and white. I dated back when my son was in kindergarten learning about race. I was with a Latino. Um, so he has been able to see various cultures, various, you know, things outside of his predominantly white area. Um, that being said, I feel like he has a tough time being able to um, identify with like one race over the other. And like, he wants not one race over the other, but he wants, he wants to be able to identify with everyone. And in certain aspects, he sort of can't, I feel like we're gonna dive into a, more of this later, which is why I'm trying to <laughs> hold what I'm saying. Um, but I feel like he kind of can't as a child who's white. Um, there's a lot of things that he wants to do, wants to experience, wants to be a part of. And I'm not saying that he can't, but it's hard to find that line as, as a white mom, as a, as a child that is white. Um, it's tough to be able to find those lines and also let it be like socially acceptable for him. Right. Okay. So then let's, um, I guess, move to the next question. Cause I feel like we're kind of segueing into that, but, um, <laughs> Jessica, how did your child respond to like discussions about race when you first started having them with him? I know he's a little bit older than everyone else is. Um, yeah. and then how did like people in your environment respond, like your friends and family, and you are in kind of an isolated, predominantly white area. Was that sure. like common? I mean, we are in Massachusetts. We do teach critical race theory so it might have been more accepted but I want to hear about your experience um so I feel like like I said I he identifies with everyone he wants to be a part of everyone our thing in our household is like just be a good person you know make the right decisions have the right morals just like be good um and I think that he is realizing now that the world is a lot more um I don't know, not, not diverse, but a lot more different than the way that his naive mind sees it. He's realizing that there's a lot more out there um, that has to do with race and racism and, you know, everything else that goes along with it. And so I think that he's starting to dive in deeper and we're having a little bit deeper conversations now. Um, as far as our household, you know, we try to expose him to as much as we can as far as things in like media, social media that are appropriate for his age, because that's a hard line to find too, I feel. Um, with him being older, he's definitely more inquisitive. He wants to learn more. He wants to be a part of more. Um, but I don't know if he's at that age yet of being able to accept all of what is going on out there and will be going on out there in the future. Um, a lot came to surface with, you know, Black Lives Matter coming up more in social media, um, especially with the George Floyd case and everything else going on. That's really when we started to dive into more deeper, harder conversations. Um, and as of right now, he's he's been adjusting and accepting and, you know, just wants to be a part of everyone and everyone's culture and be part of everything, basically. Um, he has other influences in his lives where, like, on his dad's side, me and his dad aren't together. So his dad's side, like, he believes in, like, all lives matter and tries to talk about that side of things in his household, which is a lot different perspectives than we have in ours. Um, so we do struggle a lot with that. But it's at the end of the day, I try to teach him that everyone has their own opinions and we can only do what's right in our hearts and in our minds and just to be a good person. And that's and I, can, how 
I can imagine how challenge, challenging that is where he's going to one environment where his dad's teaching him all lives matter. And then in your household, you guys are like, well, that's not accurate. Um, Black lives matter, you know? And I, I, any strategies that you would maybe recommend to other parents who might be facing that same challenge? Honestly, no, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard to be able to walk that line of like, not trying to sway your child in any certain type of way, but also like letting him know that like these things matter out there and your parents have two different views on things and that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's what you think and what you think is right in your heart and your opinions and, and your political views when we get into that later in life, you know? Um, but right now it's just kind of, I try to let him kind of like lead the way and lead conversations. Um, that way I can more so know what's on his mind before I speak and influence what is going on. Um, and we try to keep it as light as we can, but also let him know like there's serious issues going on in this world and it's not, nothing's going to get solved if we don't talk about it and, you know, do something about it together. Shekinah, what about you? Um, how did people in your environment maybe respond with kind of the way you parent and stuff? It's interesting that you brought that up because I was actually in this Facebook uh, group today and they were talking about um, gentle parenting and how, and I'm pretty sure the moms on this uh, call are, are familiar with the gentle parenting guide. It's more so like providing um, strategies around how to uh, better talk your child through, you know, some of the things that they might've done wrong. And a lot of it was talking about like, well, that's like white parenting. This is what somebody was saying. This is not like the real world. And it was interesting to me because I feel like even as a black mother, I ha have to parent completely differently. Um, and not in the way of like hitting your children because that's not like, that's trash. Like you don't, you shouldn't hit your children. I'm not saying that. That was like the, the total inverse of what gentle parenting is. Um, but even like around just discipline in general, like I know that out of the ecosystem of our home that is very safe and warm and inviting, it will not be the same way outside. So even when I talk to other people um, around me, I'm very fortunate to be around a lot of people who are diverse, like you mentioned, Greensboro's very diverse. So I never have an issue. I mean, all of my friends are doing the exact same thing I'm doing, exposing my children, reading books. Like, I mean, I'm friends with Morgan. We do the same exact thing in terms of just exposing our children. It's literally second nature. So, um, even when I hear something about like, oh, that's white parenting. And I have to even think reflectively in terms of like, I seriously have to parent differently. Like I have daughters as well. Um, and they're black children. I have to talk about hair. I have to talk about how they're beautiful with their hair. They're beautiful with their color of their skin. And I actually have one daughter who's more fair skin than the other daughter. So then we have to cross that bridge of colorism when it gets there too. So even when, you know, just in responding to your question about the discussions around race, I I don't have the privilege to ever you know really walk away from that discussion that discussion is ever present in my family and in my life Morgan what about you um I learned that it's exactly the same um and I, I didn't know that first coming into parenting because I parent differently than I was um 
I, I was raised because I was raised as a, a white woman, of course. Um, but like Elijah will have people, white kids in his class do certain things. And he will come home saying things like, well, mommy, you don't let me do X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, and that's because I have to consistently remind him like you're not white and people don't see you the same way that they see everyone else. Um, and so I'm just consistently, I mean, like, like she kind of said, I'm not like, you know, uh, hitting him or anything like that, but I feel like I am consistently having to talk about, um, the way that he acts more often than I was ever talked to about that in terms of, of being a parent. Um, Elijah, he, he originally responded really funny, um, to like discussions about race. Um, he, had a lot of trouble. She kind of, I'm surprised that your kids, well, I'm not surprised your kids are smart, but like Elijah had a lot of trouble understanding that brown and black can be the same thing, but are not the same thing. <laughs> so like not all brown people are black. <laughs> so a lot of times he would like come home from school and tell us about uh, one of his friends who he said was black. And then we would go to like the school functions and realize that that's not a black kid, but he's brown. So <laughs> He wouldn't like, you know, put, put that together for a little while that like took some time. Um, so that was cool. But eventually um, he's become so proud of his blackness. Like he literally like chooses to read like black books to his class where like they did a fable unit and none of the fables had like, they, they none of them were, um, they were all white fables. And so like he would choose like African fables to take to class, you know what I mean? To like um, add to, to the curriculum. Um, last year he had a, a part of his curriculum that like studied the national anthem. I don't know what we're doing in North Carolina, but they did. And and so he like introduced the black national anthem to his class, like asked his teacher to like put it on the test, like all this kind of stuff. Like he really kind of like stands up for himself and and like makes sure that black voices and like black culture is included in his classroom. And so far, like his teachers have been, you know, pretty open to it. Like I, I'm waiting on the day that that's not really going to happen. He doesn't go to a predominantly black school. You know what I mean? So like everyone around him is white, but um. People were not really happy with us. And <laughs> by people, I mean the white people in my family were unhappy with the way that we talked about race. Um, a lot of them thought that it was like too soon or the subject was too difficult or too scary, but that's like the privilege that we as white people have um, when it comes to our children. You know what I mean? To, to be able to like shelter them from the things that like my son and my daughter need to hear about um, because they, they're not white. So, um, I, it's been a, it's been experience, <laughs> but I've been learning a lot. <laughs> along the way for sure. Now, Stephanie, I feel like um, it's a little bit more challenging for you because you are a Latina, your family comes from a different country and in most other countries outside of America, people identify nationally versus racially. So um, you're a little girl, how are you teaching this? Cause I bet it's a lot more confusing and <laughs> <laughs> challenging. So um, how do people respond in your environment being Latina? How did your parents, your community and so forth respond? I feel like um, I am lucky that she's very inquisitive. She will ask lots of questions and then it just keeps our conversation going. Um, for the most part, because I'm surrounded by people from everywhere of all different shades, everything, I feel like it helps um, with these discussions. Now there's like, when I'm talking to like, you know, maybe an older family member or something and they say something that maybe it's not the way that I would teach her, you know, then I kind of have to like talk to them and be like, hey, you know, this is the way that we talked about it at home. And that's why I think, you know, 
A might be more beneficial than B and kind of and then they're like oh okay like even my mom and my mom's not that old but she um you know wasn't she came here when she was a young adult and so things here are different from her country so I would just tell like hey mom this is what I'm doing with Avi at home and she actually like will listen and then will you know kind of I guess go along with the way that I'm doing it at home um so she definitely even if it's not the way she would have raised Davy if it was her she does like listen and then change her perspective on things um but and then also um with mm, Jessica when she was mentioning about the dad like having different views um it's kind of the same thing with Avi um even though he's like even though her blackness comes from his side he's not necessarily really effective in these conversations like he just doesn't um he's kind of ignorant sometimes in the ways that I'm trying to teach her um and so what I would do is like I, I kind of do the same thing I'm like hey you know Mike this is what I teach AV and this is you know how it is so but the thing that's really helpful is that I'm really close to his family. So with anything, any topic that I want to talk about, I can reach out to his mom and or his sisters and talk to them about it. And then they can communicate with Avi and, you know, have their side of it um, because his side is, is, is kind of ignorant sometimes. So I um, but it's really been helpful being close to them and being able to have these conversations with them, even something as like simple as hair you know I can say well um AV you know I'm trying this new product because AV's curls do whatever they want to do <laughs> sometimes they're super curly sometimes they're loose because my hair is really straight so I try like different products with her and I talk to his mom like hey like her hair is too fine to where this product is making it oily or you know it's still dry if I use this product so she's been super helpful with these kinds of things and like she'll show like I remember when AB had her first bonnet she was like this is mom this is grandma's bonnet and grandma puts this on because blah 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 you know and she like sent her I think like a silk pillow when she didn't want to wear her bonnet even though she's super girly so any kind of like beauty anything <laughs> she Oh, let me see. She'll um, she loves it. So she usually likes wearing it. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So having these people, like even though her dad might have different views on things, like having his family to talk to and and they're close to AB is really helpful. Um, and then also having friends like Carissa who provide my daughter with all these lovely books and stuff like that. Like it's. It's so helpful and, it, and it, I think like, you know, she can kind of tie it all together, you know, like, oh, what this person's telling me is kind of like what this person's telling me um, about different topics. So let's see. Well, I guess when you talked about the books though, I do think books are very important, but what um, resources have you guys found useful when it comes to like discussing these challenging conversations? So, I know the internet like sucks sometimes, but it's also beneficial. <laughs> so like sometimes when, as far as race, I never felt uncomfortable talking to Avi about it. Now, if she were to ask me a question and I'm like, oh gosh, like how should I answer this? 
like then I would like well let me just do a google search or do like a youtube the best way to talk to your kid about blah 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 <laughs> you know and um and even with the books like if I if there's something that I feel like well, what's the best way I should talk to her about this then we'll just I'll research it and then we'll come back to it remember when we read this book yesterday blah 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 so in terms of like just resources I feel like I'm about to mix both the questions together but um I find out what like my girls are interested in gymnastics so I make everything relatable to them because they are like kind of young so they're really into gymnastics so we learn about Dominique Dawes we learn about Simone Biles and we're reading all the books about them like this is why they're famous because they were the first black person to do it. And they're like, oh, okay, wow. And I'm like, do you know what that means? And then we start talking about like, they're the first to do it. So, you know, and we're about to come up on Black History Month. Black History Month, my house 365. We are embedding all elements of history because I'm be honest with you, especially in North Carolina, they're not gonna learn much about black history, probably about two units in the whole year. So we're just gonna make it just a part of life. Um, and I think we were saying something, um, Stephanie was talking about like just challenges and having uncomfortable conversations. And I mentioned this to Chris earlier today. I remember reading a book um, to Naomi about Ruby Bridges. And um, we were going through the book and you know we were talking about how the people didn't want um, Ruby to go to school because she was black and they were throwing stuff at her and, you know, but she persevered and she just was sad. Like she almost was crying. I'm like, are you okay? Why are you crying? We're, you know, we always talk about the book after we read it. And she says, I don't understand why they would be throwing stuff at her. That's not nice. And I said, it's because her skin was another color. And then she just was looking at me like really sad. Like, and she, and I think she was starting to really understand and then of course, you know, the resources are the books mostly because they are so young. Um, but even that was a challenging part for me, not because it was the topic of race, but the topic really opened up something in my daughter because she's very emotional about what it really means. Because I feel like I can say like Black History Month is this or Black people are this or we're excellent and resilient because of this. But then when you put into terms in terms of racism and how racism unfolds and how it has unfolded in our history, it's painful. And it's painful for a child to understand that. But I don't want her narrative to be a, a victim narrative either. So I'm always like, girl, you are popping. Like, you look good today. So it's like, I never want it to be negative, but that is still a part of our history. So I feel like that was a challenge apart from me because I was sad. I was, child, you about to make me cry. <laughs> so I was, I was so sad just watching her be sad. Well, that kind of reminds me of when I was a kid. I remember being the only black kid in the entire school. And in the classroom, when they're talking about slavery, I literally remember all the other kids looking back at me and I wanted to cry. And it was because A, like, this is sad. I'm the only black kid in the classroom. I don't have anyone being my cheerleader telling me that, oh, it's great. Your hair looks bomb. You're still the shit. I wasn't around any black powerful people. So I remember feeling almost shame and embarrassment because I was like, well, this is mean. But then everyone in the classroom is looking at me because I was a black person that they want to let in school. For some parents, Stephanie, um, discussions about race might feel awkward, uncomfortable, and scary. Do you ever feel uncomfortable? How do you overcome this discomfort? So um, I don't necessarily feel uncomfortable about it. Um, if it's something that I feel like I can't answer right away, then I'll just kind of, you know, go back and research and then come back to her with whatever 
answers for whatever she's asking me. Um, the main reason that I also don't feel like uncomfortable for me is because of her age. She's so young and I feel like I like how you said earlier that, you know, your daughter's like gymnastics. And so it's easy to kind of like read a book about that and then kind of relate to that because that's with the children's book is what I would do with her. And then just the fact that I teach kindergarten through second grade is my population right now. Um, it's easy to, it's almost like I'm lesson planning, but for my daughter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So um, I think that's why I don't feel uncomfortable talking about it because that's something that like we were talking about also education and then them not really talking about Black History Month for the month of February. I um, advocated, for example, we had a discussion one time that our kids are so cognitively low um, at my school and they they are severe, have severe profound disabilities that I think one teacher was like, well, you know, we can just skip over Black History Month. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, all my kids are Black. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, and it, it's kind of like, if, if you thought that about Black History Month, then you're saying that about anything that we're teaching them. You're saying that they're not cognitively high enough to understand anything, you know? So I very much advocate for that at my own school. And so anything that I'm even doing with my kids, I'll bring back and, um, feel comfortable talking about it with my daughter, being that she's young as the kids that I teach. And um, uh, yeah, that's the main thing. I mean, I feel like I'm, because I'm already in it and I like teach it and I and I want other teachers, like, you know, if you, if you don't wanna teach Black History Month, one month out of all of the months <laughs> that we're teaching, then maybe you can do this. Like we're, you know, you're, teach like talk about Garrett Morgan and then teach the colors of the the traffic light you know things like that um but yeah I think I, I'm just already in it so I feel comfortable talking about it race with her especially because she's at a young age where I can it's not super complex just yet I can generalize it if that makes sense I can make it to where she understands um, and then as she gets older, then we can talk about more and more things that are more complex. Awesome. I feel like um, Morgan was about to say something really, really funny about what Eli said. <laughs> and I need you to repeat that. <laughs> so um, uncomfortable conversations. Um, my husband took my son to see Black Panther and then Eli came home and called me a colonizer for like an entire year <laughs> because... <laughs> The, the white people, you know, Black Panther were colonizers. So like that um, has helped to break up the discomfort. I also think I'm a pretty like med metacognitive person. So like I question myself and the things that I think all the time. Um, so it, it doesn't really bother me um, to, to have like uncomfortable conversations. And I understand like the good and bad binary, you know what I mean? Where like you can be a good person and be racist or like, you know, you can, um, I can be his mother and love him, but still have um, like biases that I haven't worked through yet. So, um, and oddly enough, like my, I mean, he's eight now, but like my five-year-old understood that, you know what I mean? Like when I started talking about things that white people had done um, in the past and still do currently and the way that uh, people of color have been treated, 
he was never like, oh, mommy, I hate you now. You know what I mean? He was never like, oh, mommy, I'm scared of you or, you know, any of those kinds of things. He didn't like look at his grandparents or other white people in his life in a different way. He may have asked more questions, um, but he understood that like good people can do bad things. And I think that's something that we, in terms of like our country have a really hard time with, you know what I mean? Like the word racist automatically means bad person. And so not a lot of people want to like um, step up and say, hey, I'm racist, <laughs> I'm privileged. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't want to do that. Um, but I, I have had a lot of these conversations. I generally don't, you know, find that to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I think I um, I had kind of dabbled in it earlier when I had talked about, um, you know, my son and being around, you know, my boyfriend who's biracial and just having different people of different colors around him um, and him wanting to be, like I said, a part of all of it. Um, he, he loves the culture. He loves black culture. He loves everything when it comes down to the music, the clothes, the hair, all of it. Um, but as a white child and as a white parent, we need to be able to teach them things like cultural appropriation. Um, we need to be able to find that balance of, you know, you can appreciate the culture, you can definitely like be in it and be a part of it and be all about it. Um, but there are some things that just as white people, we can't do and we need to leave for other cultures, whether it's, you know, black, white, Latina, anything else in between. Cultures are made for cultures and we need to be able to respect that, especially in our privilege and in our white privilege. Um, and I'll answer the question next. I don't think I've ever felt, I don't know if the word is uncomfortable um, because again, they're really young. I feel like um, when I talk to, you know, for kids, their biggest influences outside of, you know, their own personal home, their own communities, of course, their teachers. So my mother has been an educator for about 25 years. So she's always warned me about how inherently uh, racist teachers can be. And sometimes it's not even something that they're doing on purpose. It's very microaggressive. There's many studies about how black children are in ISS. They're suspended at higher rates than white children. So I've always felt uncomfortable about what is to come and what is to be. Um, and, you know, kids were on virtual school for the past, you know, year, year and a half or whatever. So I haven't encountered that. But I think one of the things that I'm trying to do to overcome that is be like, super, super present in their like education. So like their teachers know me, um, like they know myself and my husband very, very well. Like that's Naomi's parents, that's Layla's parents, they know us. Um, and that is, so if there's ever an issue, we I've already built that rapport with the teachers so we can address it head on. Um, and, I, and I'm from the North originally, so I do recognize that I feel like in the South uh, is a little bit differently. So with some situations, I will actually have my husband who's from here kind of smooth into situations. And that's also, uh, probably another story for a different day about how like black women can be seen aggressively in comparison to men. So I sometimes let him lead the way unless I need to do something crazy, then I'll lead the way. But I try to make that known as well. Um, and also my youngest, she does have a speech delay. So when um, Stephanie was talking about her kids as well, I think that's another um, nuanced portion. There are no black speech pathologist like it is the the, probably the most whitest industry that I've seen um like I want to say high 90s like mid 90 percent all white women they don't even have males really who are speech pathologists so as intentional I, as I am about trying to have teachers or dentists or things like that that is the industry that I 
I probably won't be able to have exposed um, my daughter um, most readily to um, somebody who's even of color, you know what I mean? And I always do like the, I go black first, then I go brown, then I go woman, then I go like small business. I try to have a hierarchy. <laughs> so at least I'm trying to hit some type of um, checklist, but it's it's extremely hard to find that. So, and even knowing that she has a learning challenge and, you know, kids are already seen as, you know, a, a deficit who are of color anyway, that is a challenge that I know myself, my husband are trying to get over as well um, to, to get her ahead of things before it starts to get, um, to, to become an issue, um, later on down the line. I do have a best friend who is a speech pathologist and she is excellent. So if you need one, I will recommend you to her. <laughs> Black do. woman of color. Hey, <laughs> yeah. One of the only ones I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> yeah. She actually follows a group that specifically like Black women in speech pathology. <laughs> so, yeah, she does. She is like, seriously, if you want her information, I will give it to you. <laughs> but she I'm, is I'm not speaking out of turn, right? It is a white industry, right? Like, I didn't make that number. No, up. you're I right. Know I saw it. I was like, what, yeah, you're you know right. We're in Greensboro. Never mind. It's, it's we're in Greensboro. That's why I'm like, it's, I, I've never seen anyone, but never mind. One it's of my coworkers, yeah. um, she's going into it and she's um, pretty socially um, aware and she was, she's white and she's telling me, she's like, yeah, that's one of the biggest issues of speech is there's no black people in it. There's no people of color in speech. Um, I'm a behavior analyst, same, barely any people of color in it, but we're changing, we're moving. When they have little groups, that's a start because that really helps. But I guess yeah. that kind of leads to the next question because um, Shekinah, I loved how you kind of brought up your um, daughter being a little bit delayed, but that's another, that kind of goes into intersectionality. Like your daughter's black, she's a woman, she's gonna be a woman at least. And then if she has any other delays in the future, that's gonna even be more challenging. Stephanie, you even talked about that with your special needs kids. But I think that's a good segue into talking about privileges, and intersectionality. So um, Stephanie, what would you say to that kind of, in your conversation with your child, how do you address maybe privileges that she might have and intersectionality? As far as like talking about, because she's so young, it's kind of easy to be general with her when we're seeing like, you know, because she's black and because she's a female, she's treated differently because A, B, C, D, you know, and go into those conversations um, or because it started with A, B more so because this person looks this way and has a disability, um, you know, they might blah, 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 blah. Because my kids are nonverbal. So she knew like early on to that they just because they're nonverbal doesn't mean they can't do things or they can't think things and so at a young age she already knew like she was in a class where a girl couldn't like uh I think she had physical she didn't have cognitive disabilities she had physical disabilities but she couldn't sit up right so AV I would kind of peek in her room as I was picking her up and she would get down to the ground to talk to the girl and she wasn't talking back to her but she just knew like I, I it's super important for her to know that um how people differ and then how people can be treated because of their disabilities. And I'll, I'll, she is kind of like a grown up, I swear. So even stories that I feel like I'll tell my best friend, like, oh, I had this, um, I don't know, group come in and they were touring our school. And the best thing that I liked about the tour was that their face changed the moment that my kid reached out and talked with a communication device. Because in their mind, they're like, 
you have a disability, so you can't do this. And then for them to find out, oh, wow, you can, you know? So it, it started with that. Um, so, and then just kind of, I mean, it's been real general with her, you know, as far as why people are treated differently, as far as their race, their gender, their disability, um, religion. So, yeah. <laughs> Jessica, what about you? How, how did those discussions go? Um, so I think as far as like privilege goes, um, I think as he's getting older, those conversations are getting more and more serious and he's starting to understand his privilege and things that he does, doesn't need to worry about as a, a white kid. Um, he's starting to understand, you know, the different racism that's out there and the different challenges that people of color face that he doesn't. Um, and he's starting to take that stuff more to heart and like in a more serious manner, um, which is something that, I don't know, I just, I'm kind of taking it as it goes. Um, and I don't like to put it in that sense of like that it's not important, but I'm kind of letting him lead the way and lead conversations that he he's curious about and needs to learn about. And, it, you know, it started at like from a young age, um, my sister works with people with disabilities as well. And so he understood from, being three, four years old and, and learning that, you know, people are different and people have disabilities. And it started with that. And then it kind of went into like one of my best friends is trans. And so he saw then her go from a female with, you know, female parts and everything else to he got surgery and now he's called Alex and he is a man. And it was almost like it didn't face him because I think that kids are really resilient. Um, I think that kids will understand what you put in front of them and put on a plate in front of them. And if we can all kind of be open with these conversations and just real about it, I feel like as far as my son and our family goes, he's just kind of like, he's gotten it. He's understood it. He's realized what's important. He's realized, you know, different situations occur and what is going on in the world in a general consensus for a 10 year old. But we move as he gets older and we dwell into different conversations and more serious conversations as we move about. You said your friend's trans, right? And he identifies as a male, but at one point he might've identified as a female. So how did you explain that to your son was, or was it pretty just casual and he got it? So it, it was honestly, it was pretty casual. Um, at the time, Keaton was probably, I'd say about six years old. Um, and he knew Alex as, as a female. And he knew Alex was a lesbian um, and he knew Alex and, and his partner, Kaylee, um, they'd come over we'd hang out. They have a daughter who's around Caden's age. And it went from, you know, we would all hang out and Alex was female to, you know what, Alex doesn't want to be female. Alex doesn't feel comfortable being female and Alex wants to be a man. And so we went and visited him after he had his surgery. Um, I brought Caden to the hospital with me and, you know, it is, we just, I just kind of went like just kind of went with the flow with it and he just kind of like understood it and understood it for what it was and there was never there was questions of course but there was never any like judgment about it or or anything whether that comes to disabilities whether that comes to race whether that comes to transgender bisexual gay anything else in between um it's just about that that real conversation I feel and when you have that with kids they just get it because they're kids and they just like understand it in different perspectives that we do and they're probably like a sponge too, because if you make it seem like it's normal, it is normal. They, sure. <laughs> if you yeah. make it seem like it's not normal, then guess what? It's not going to be normal. Like I've been saying, like my kids are super young, but 
Um, I mean, in, in a lot of the programs that I've been in, uh, my master's program, we learned about the white identity development model, the black identity development model. I've learned about intersectionality from Kimberly Crenshaw. So I'm excited to the for the point of them to finally be older for us to like really delve into it because I feel like I have to do them like baby social justice now, which is fine because you got to start somewhere. Um, but you know, even when I'm talking to them about, you know, what privilege would be, what power would be, what discrimination would be, what about all those nuanced things? What is, you know, how does that really yield and will racism? And we can go into the history of all of that. So that will eventually come. But, you know, at a very small level, even with them, I'd rather talk about their privileges in, in a lot now and them to understand their privileges because they'll constantly be aware of their disprivileges moving forward. They're Black women. Um, and it's not ambiguous Black, they are Black. So it's, they're going to be like that the rest of their life. So I talk about how, you know, you have a mommy and a daddy that is an house and you know uh, it's a very low number of black couples who are together in the home um your parents own their home like that is a big privilege as well black home ownership is not very high um uh, proportionally probably i think it's proportionally the same as what it was in the 60s and 70s so even when we talk about that like your parents own this home and even when i think about and i tell them like your grandparents own their home and their great-grandparents own their home um, I come from a long line of people who had businesses and, you know, was taken away was a lot of, you know, systematic racism back in the days. But even thinking about that, like you have parents who have master's degrees, um, you know, you don't live in a bad neighborhood where you worry about gunshots like, you know, my parents might have had to worry about or anybody else had to worry about. I'm more so talking to them about that. Like you have a lot of clothes. So we go and we purge their clothes. We purge their toys. We purge everything like you need to give this stuff away because you all are have too many things. So I feel like I'm more so going it from, I feel like I'm trying to give them all the elements that they need to know now before it comes to a point where they're gonna know about everything else. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, with the little black girls, I'm trying to help them define their beauty and find themselves before somebody else defines it for them. Like, I'm very intentional about that. I'm very intentional about their hair, about how they're presenting themselves. Like, it's just, and I mean, in the black culture, we care about how we look. Like, we just want to make sure we look good. So that is a big part of what we do. So, I mean, when I think about privileges, you have the privilege that your parents could spend money and buy you clothes. Like some people have to go to Goodwill every single, you know, twice a year. So those things, the, those levels of privileges, I'm trying to tell them before the disprivileges will be evidently shown in their lives. Now, Morgan, have you discussed like intersectionality with your kids? I know um, you have mixed kids. So um, I think colorism is actually something kind of important to discuss. I don't know if you've even tried to talk about that yet. Um, but what about you? How do you kind of discuss privileges that your kids might have and intersectionality? Yeah, we, we do have conversations about that. Um, we try to use the difference between like Elijah and his skin color and what he may be expected to do versus his dad right, who's much darker than he is. Um, so we have talked about colorism. Even Zola is a little bit lighter at this point than than Elijah is. So I think she would be, if you were to say more passing probably than even he is. Um, so, you know, we have some of those conversations. A lot of times our conversations revolve around um, like gender roles and norms. Um, and that, and also like the idea of like the, the fetish, fetish, that is this, <laughs> I, can't, 
hate that one. <laughs> they, how people fetished over um, mixed people's hair. So Elijah always gets so many compliments about his hair, right? Well, it's either compliments or people call him a girl. So um, it's one or the other. And so we get to talk about both, both uh, ideas of intersectionality with that. One about how his, his hair is no better than anyone else's hair, um, just because, you know, it's mixed people hair, whatever that means um and then also how like long hair doesn't equal girl right so like it's all the time having those kinds of conversations elijah used to love the color pink he wore dresses um until he was like five like we would buy them he would want his fingernails painted in fact the other day i painted he he would be so angry if I heard this. But the other day I painted Dola's fingernails and Eli was like, oh, can you paint my toenails? Like we, and he's eight, you know what I mean? And so like, like we try to make sure that in practice every day, like gender roles and norms are not upheld in our house so that he doesn't feel um, a certain way in terms of like being a man and looking down, you know, at women or anything else in, in that perspective. Um, and then of course, um, we have a lot of uh, people in our circle who are of the LGBTQI community. So um, that's always a conversation in our house. It's very normal. You know what I mean? And, and we have conversations all the time about like if he um, hears things at school. I, I tell people all the time, I spend most of my time now that he's in public school re-educating him because he hears a whole lot of mess at school. And it, it's not necessarily from the teachers. It is from the teachers, but it's, it's from his friends who have very ignorant families. And so they come home and he's like, oh, such and such said this was this. You know what I mean? Like Bryson called me gay because, you know, I hugged a boy or like whatever. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So I'm like consistently, and I, I told Chris this the other day, I don't care how much work you do at home when you send your kids out to public school or to school or to the community in general they are always going to come in contact with people who are are very ignorant and they believe them sometimes you know what i mean like they come home and they're like mommy i know you said this but my six-year-old friend said that you know like it is so <laughs> unbelievable but it's true so like i spend a lot of time like reinforcing the things that I want him to take and like telling him that eight-year-olds don't know everything. <laughs> like, I don't care what your friend said. <laughs> yeah, they, they think, Elijah must think his friends and teachers are a lot smarter than me. So I try very hard to um, to have that conversation often. So yeah, we talk about privilege, we talk about classism, colorism, all those kinds of things. Not of course as in-depth as we, we will one day, but um, it is it is a discussion in our home. Uh, thank you for this important discussion. I'm going to chop the heck out of these videos because there's a lot of technical issues. So I apologize for that. Um, but thank you for joining. I feel like this insight was very important and hopefully we can kind of share it to the world. Um, people can have different perspectives on how they kind of teach their kids and have these discussions because they can be scary to some parents. So um, thank you so much for your time. And I know you guys are all parenting. It's 10 o'clock. I hope your kids are asleep. If not, I'm sorry for keeping you longer than expected. So good night, everyone. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye. In conclusion, conversations about race and racialized oppression may be difficult for some parents. Parents who come from privileged or more privileged backgrounds, whether it be white families, racially ambiguous families, straight families, able-bodied families, etc., can often avoid discussions about racialized oppression, allowing them to stay complicit with racism and be the gatekeepers of inaction. Although most of us may come from different intersectionalities of privilege and oppression, it does not excuse the responsibility parents play in ensuring that their child does not reinforce and pass down oppressive ideology. 
Although today's discussion focused on the necessity of discussing race with children from an early age, it did not convey the importance of discussing identity and privilege and oppression that comes with each. I want to thank each speaker who participated in the discussion, and hopefully in the future, we can revisit the conversation to see how this discussion helped inform having more progressive discussions about race. In the comments section are some resources parents can use to help inform discussions about race as their child continues to grow.